Support the show by donating at themusicbuds.com. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Music Buds podcast. This is episode number 19, and my name is Henry. This week, I, I am so honored to be joined by the composer Ben Lovett, who just worked on the new comedy horror film The Wolf of Snow Hollow, as well as a number of other acclaimed works, including Synchronicity, Netflix's The Ritual, The Wind, uh, I Trap the Devil. I mean, so many great films. Ben, I, I can't tell you how much it means for you to be taking the time. I, I, I love it and respect your work very much. And so I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, first of all, how's life these days? Uh, in progress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting as always. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I guess I, the first thing I wanted to ask you about, I'm always curious as to how composers get started because I feel like there are so many different avenues to which that can happen. How, was composing something you always wanted to do or? No, no. I, um, I had a very uh, sort of strange route into it. Um, in a lot of ways, a, a lot of th- like the different sort of uh, progression of of, uh, of my career has been sort of backwards in a way. Hmm. And in that, I didn't grow up uh, learning to play music or studying music or I didn't have a, a music teacher or was never really involved in it. I was just somebody that enjoyed listening to music like anyone else. Yeah. And creating it or making it was never really something that seemed like, I guess I just never really thought about it because it never seemed like it was of an option that was available to me. I grew up in rural Georgia and mm. I didn't really know anyone that played an instrument. And um, and then I was a teenager and discovered punk rock and discovered <laughs> kind of the whole concept of like, well, you know, it doesn't really know if you, doesn't really matter if you know how to play or not, sure. you just do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, as long as you have something to say uh, and you have some conviction about what you're doing, you just sort of make your own way and figure it out on your own. And that kind of general damn it all DIY ethic was sort of like a foundational piece of just going like, oh, okay, I get it. You just got to get a guitar and plug it in yeah, and figure out what you want to say. <laughs> and so um, I had fell into that uh, it, late in high school and then wound up going to college at the University of Georgia. I met a bunch of um, kids who were sort of banding together to create this movie this is in like the mid to late 90s. And, you know, someone had suggested to them that I do the music, which I thought was, a, you know, a terrible idea. And I tried <laughs> to convince them that was, you know, absurd because I didn't even mm. know anything about where I would even begin to score a movie. And they kind of said, you know, well, we don't know anything about making a movie. So why should you, why should that, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, you know, from there, that sort of like, that was how I got into it was just um, realizing that I had no real good reason not to other than being afraid of what you don't know, Mm. which is really the last thing you should be afraid of, you Mm. know? And so you do one and then one leads to two and two leads to four and four leads to, you know, and before you know it, you turn around and for the past 20 years, you've been doing movies. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think that that works because I I think some of the most interesting composers working right now are 
non-traditional ones. You know, they're, they bring in something that you would not expect at all, but it, in the best way, it's like you, you haven't heard that style of sound. And so I think that avenue seems to be the right way to go these days. Well, you know, I, for me, it's sort of like, um, I, I think of it all as I'm a storyteller. Like I'm a collaborating storyteller who mm. comes on board a project and helps the director or the team you know, uh, effectively tell this story. I just happen to specialize in the sound and musical element of that storytelling. So I think about it more as just being someone that um, collaborates in that aspect of it more so than it necessarily always having to be about writing a piece of music as much as sort of everything involved in how you affect an audience through sound and, and music. Yeah. Being the area that I'm kind of helping come in and uh, communicate. Right. To. And, I, and I don't think you necessarily need a musical background in order to do that any more than you need to know how the camera works in order to direct a scene. You know, if mm-hmm. if you kind of know what you're trying to get to in terms of the emotion you're trying to create or how you're trying to um, contribute to the story, then there's a lot of different ways to sort of go about doing that. And I only say that because I just feel like you should never let what you don't know be a reason to not even give it a try. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing that I had read uh, that you had mentioned is that, well, I mean, because when I first saw your your work, you know, I said, oh, it's like this guy has done a lot of like horror, like kind of like heavy drama. and And I saw that you had mentioned you tend to cling to that because those life and death situations offer the most emotional kind of um, openings for music. Is that still true? Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I don't have a particular interest in a, in any one genre of film or story or art or music or anything any more than any other. I just like good stories or I just like good songs, like good movies. I I don't know that I'm drawn to working on any particular kind of music or film any more than any other, but I do tend to find that the genre stuff and the more intense films are the one area where you're going to kind of deal with the whole range of human emotion in 90 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, in a good horror film, like you gotta, you know, there's pretty much, there's going to be things that are, you know, scary, maybe a little funny, usually pretty hair raising and tense. You're going to have some, some, some really heartfelt and sad moments. There's, you Mm kind of have to be able to round the bases and trying to come up with like a palette of sounds and, you know, a general motif or, thesis of what the music is doing and do it in a way that can hit all those bases yeah, and can land in all those places is always a really interesting challenge. It's not to say that I don't enjoy like, you know, I did a documentary that came out earlier this year that is 180 degree opposite sort of thing than, than something like the ritual or, mm-hmm. or even a sci-fi thing like synchronicity. But it's just that um, the variety kind of keeps it interesting. Yeah. But the genre stuff kind of lets you get pretty experimental and there's a really wide bandwidth of techniques and styles and things that can come into play when you're doing the the spooky stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to get to uh Snow Hollow, but I I think of all your your great work, I think my favorite uh is The Wind, which is this oh, cool. really like dark, like chilling western. 
And uh, one one connection that I, I thought was so interesting that I have is me being in North Carolina is you got some instruments from the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah. Is, yeah, that uh, score was recorded. Wait, where are you in North Carolina? I'm in uh, the Raleigh-Durham area. So like, okay. like central okay. North Carolina. Yeah, so I recorded that score in Asheville. Oh, yeah. I'm about three yeah. hours from there. <laughs> yeah. And I did uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow in Asheville as well. Oh, cool. There's a... Yeah. And so the... What well, most of the wind was recorded in Asheville. There were the two primary instruments in that score are the bass flute, and the bass flute player is in Los Angeles. But everything else, all the strings and the nickel harpa and all these other kind of folk instruments that I used on that score, all that stuff was done uh, in the church at Echo Mountain in, in Asheville, which mm. is a, a studio there. And it was a bit about trying to find, you know, kind of a primitive set of sounds and instrumentation that could sort of speak to the aesthetic of that kind of nebulous 1700s, 1800s, you can't quite tell exactly where it falls, right. open prairie kind of sound. And that's a good example of like, you know, a film like that gives you a, a really interesting aesthetic palette visually that you can draw a lot from. And that's kind of what I did with that. I mean, it's called The Wind. So it was kind of like, <laughs> maybe let's use wind instruments, yeah. you know? I mean, like you get you get like anywhere you can draw some idea, just t- touching it back to your, your question about starting points, anything that can help define some kind of a direction or, you know, you want to set your own productive, creative limitations because the the most anxiety-inducing part of every project is the very beginning when there's just you can go in any given direction you got to figure out which one you're going to go in and what you're going to use and and kind of commit to for the score yeah that really comes through because it that uh western world has such like space for lack of a better word and so it had the score has that kind of breathy like like hollowness in in a good way like you you know and it's it, it works. A lot of that is her. I, I realized, you know, when we were doing some recording experiments that just her sort of breathing and blowing through this instrument, this this long, you know, like it's like five, six foot long bass flute, it, it just created a certain sort of texture and sound. And, you know, sometimes a lot of what I do is the 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 quality of the sound and the tonality of it is as important to me in what it might be doing melodically or musically. Yeah. So sometimes it's just as simple as like, hey, you just kind of breathing through that thing is (laughs) rad. So why force a bunch of notes onto that when it's producing the effect that we need right here, you know? Yeah. And one thing uh, with that, in terms of the the music that you've done, is it like doing such like uh, like a dark film like that is it kind of emotionally draining to do something like that that is so i, I mean listening to it uh, again in a great way it takes a lot out of you and watching that movie it, it's so intense is actually the process of making the music like is it satisfying in that way or or is it also kind of taxing in in a way to do that kind of heavy it's a, material. It's a good it's a good question. I think it's probably a lot harder on this on the spouses and people <laughs> who have to live with us crazy people during right. these stretches when right. we're working on this because you spend all day in a like pretty dark 
fucked up place, you know? And so it's like, there's you know, only so many hours a day you can sort of sit with your mission being to create some of the most um, unsettling sounds and tones. But I, don't, I think that I'm, the answer is, is essentially yes and no. Like it's yes in that it can be, you know, it's kind of difficult just when you have like a nice pretty day outside the window and you're, you know, <laughs> six hours deep and just like this shit all day, you know, yeah. and it's like, but when you have such a fascination for sound in general and just the exploratory nature of trying to kind of create these colors and these combinations of sounds that kind of produce a feeling when you get it, even if it's horrible, you're just like, Oh, yeah, nom, right. nom, nom. like it's so cool. You just, you get off so much on just, uh, creating and painting that even when the painting is quite dark, you just sort of enjoy the craft of, of doing that so much that, you know, you live through it, but there's only so many hours a day and days a week and, and weeks a month, you know, that it, it accumulates over time that yeah. by the time you're done with it, you kind of want to pivot and do like <laughs> a romantic comedy or something like that, just right. to sort of cleanse a spiritual palate. Mm-hmm. Shifting to, the Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is, God, that's such a cool movie. And it's like, <laughs> um, and, and one thing that struck me uh, immediately is it has such a finessed, particular tone and style. Like it walks this very fine line between comedy and drama, comedy and horror. And it could be so easy in another case for that to go completely off the rails and to be a mess, but it never does. It stays really true to that was doing music for a, a film that has such a I guess a delicate feeling to it was that exciting or was that kind of nerve-wracking trying having to kind of be so malleable well that's a good question because it was both and I credit everything that you're describing about its ability to do that well to Jim mm. um, Cummings who's the writer director and star of this movie and yeah if anyone's seen Snow Hollow, they obviously know what you're referring to. And if anyone has seen Jim's first film, Thunder Road, yeah. they know that's kind of what Jim does. And Thunder Road is as much a comedy and drama. Simultaneously, things are funny and totally just heartbreaking. You know, everything that's sweet is bittersweet and everything that is horrible is also sort of funny in its horribleness. <laughs> right. And and he has just a really unique way of doing that and 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 balancing those things. And so it was seeing Thunder Road that made me jump at the opportunity to work on Snow Hollow. But there was very little music in Thunder Road. There's like two or three music cues in the whole movie and they're really short and they're yeah. very minimal. And so I didn't really know uh and I think nor did Jim what the music's role needed to be in sort of helping uh, reinforce that. And so I think in the early part of the process, I might have been doing things that leaned a little too much into the comedy. And he would have to kind of say like, you know, no, you know, you need to lean the other way. Don't, don't wink or don't let mm. the, don't let the music nod too much or acknowledge too much the humor play it straight and it'll the humor works only when it's sort of you're not looking directly at it 
Right. And so, but but the music has to ha- had to have some sense of awareness that it was in a comedy, <laughs> ostensibly, right? And so, the I it took a while to sort of figure out when I kind of came around to this idea of like, well, what if we do this kind of like Bernard Herman inspired kind of throwback thing that sort of has like that bigness and it can speak to and service the action stuff and the horror scenes and all. And it can honor the moment of the guy walking out into the patio and finding his girlfriend chopped to pieces and the horror of that. But it speaks to that in a way that, you know, services the cinema of it, but it also kind of acknowledges the comedy and the sort of absurdity of it. Right. And for some reason, that old, old school 50s Hollywood mystery thriller kind of sound and feel kind of does that, you know, it has this bigness about it that's so big or so ambitious that, you know, um, but it's a fine line because you can really easily get into I mean, you're Mm. real close to just doing that. Yeah. Like a lot of what I'm doing is teetering right on the line of that. And that is immediately just laughable, right? Yeah. That's just going to seem like it's slapstick. So trying to like get right up against that, but not tip the thing over was sort of a unique challenge. Yeah. I I think that could be so, I mean, as you had discussed, like starting that project like that, it could be daunting, but also I feel like as an artist, that's still so compa- uh, so motivating to have that like open canvas uh, of, yeah. you know, possibilities. So that's cool. Yeah. And it's, it's an, I'm always looking for a new challenge. And, and like you said, like having done a, a fair share of, of genre films and films that one would consider horror, like there's a lot of people that I, I don't, know that they would consider this a horror film. There's a lot of people that would call it a comedy. Some people would call it, I've heard it called a tragic comedy. Mm. I've heard it called just straight horror, which certainly can. Yeah. But it's just like, it's just a movie. It's just a fun movie that kind of has a little bit of all that stuff. And so I knew that it was going to need um, something that would end up being uniquely different than what I had done, you know, on previous projects. Yeah. Well, jumping back uh, a little bit, to uh, I Trapped the Devil, which is this like like Christmas horror film. And like it, it has that great uh, kind of influences that you were touching on. It has that like classic Hollywood like or like mid 70s, 60s horror feel of this. Like it's kind of Christmassy, but it's also really mm-hmm. scary and, and weird and experimental. Was that a, a fun project to work on? It was that my my initial thing when I came on board that was like Josh Lobo, the writer and director, had reached out and he had cast Scott Poitras and AJ Bowen, who I've known for decades, and we all met in college on that very first movie that I mentioned oh. way back. And yeah. they were in the Signal, and I did. You know, we were all like part of that family that made the Signal in two thousand uh, Sundance two thousand seven. And so, you know, when I, when he told me they were in, I was like, all right, right, if they're in it, you know, he was like, I don't really have much money, but like, you can kind of do whatever you want. And so I said, all right, well, I'm going to try to make sleigh bells scary. (laughs) I remember it was my first idea was like, it's a Christmas horror movie. Let's see if we can make easily the most non-scary sounding Christmas thing scary. Right. And a little bit of that did wind up in there. You can sort of hear some like these like little single 
slow kind of hits of these sleigh bells that, um, but that originally I was like, it's going to be all sleigh bells. Uh, that didn't quite happen. But Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, uh, but I don't know what I really liked the most about that film when I was going into it was I was like, okay, so this is kind of like a stage play. Like this is like three characters in one location Yeah. that like you could do this as a stage play. And it, felt like that to me and there was something about the like containment of it and you know the again like the the limitations of just going like all right so this is like a like a shoestring budget with three characters in a house it's all about mood and atmosphere and like you know you got to really lean into the stakes so that every little thing every little nuanced thing matters and I thought you know Josh has a style like there was something he was doing with it that felt you know, there was like a, a pulpy, like uh, tactile feel to the, like even what's on screen. Yeah. Just the way it's shot and the way it breathes and feels, you know, and I said, all right, so basically we need to like, I think we had a conversation at one point where he was like, basically evil, he goes, it, just imagine this like, it's like a gas leak in the house or something. It's like evil is just slowly poisoning the air in the house. Right. It's just, they're just slowly uh, being subjected to this thing that they don't even sort of realize and I said okay like I like that idea let me get into that and see you know what we can do with that and again it was a different sort of set of circumstances and a different like palette to kind of deal with but it did feel like again like very different than Snow Hollow but similar in that it felt like it was channeling some inspiration from genre films from way back not necessarily like five years ago or ten years ago but like 30 or 40 years ago. Right. Yeah. When Now, ha- having worked with a lot of different directors and a lot of different styles, are you someone who who watches movies a lot or are you someone who, and or are you someone who listens to music all that much? I certainly got into doing this because of both. Um, but I would say that one of the, probably the worst part, one of the worst like, uh, uh, um, symptoms of being somewhat successful at this is that the more time you spend working on movies and making albums, the less time you seem to have or spend just consuming them. Right. And I don't like that's something that I take responsibility for because I've realized that you have to start to really prioritize and make time to do that because when you spend all every waking hour, all you end up hearing is your own shit. You know, yeah. it's kind of like you really lose perspective on things and you really kind of maybe start to forget just because you spend or I do. I'm sure a lot of people do. You spend so much time not liking what you're listening to because you're trying to make stuff and you got to go through cycles and cycles of stuff that you're just like, this sucks <laughs> to find something that you really get into and like. And that's such a process that when you just listen to stuff, you remember like, oh, right. I do this because of how much I enjoy being a listener or just right. watching movies. And so I tried to, I've tried to get better about um, prioritizing and making time to uh, just sit and go and enjoy <laughs> this thing. Because so much of it, is, it's such a struggle and it's such a battle. And like this, this, this work can really rattle your sort of self-confidence and your sense of worth value and all of this that you're 
um, you know, putting into that, that yeah. you sometimes the best way to reconnect to that is, or to combat that is to reconnect with, you know, a foundational love of just listening to music. Yeah. Uh, one thing veering away from movies a little bit is I, I wanted to ask you about this collaboration with Matt Skiba uh, oh, yeah. from Blink-182 because I, I love that band and I was... I like I I was so excited to see that you you had collaborated with him not with Blink 182 but on Heavens. How did that collaboration come about? Heavens was a just a studio side project that we did Skiba and myself and uh, Josiah Steinbrick. We this was in 2006, I think. I was living in LA, had a studio out there and this was pre Blink-182 for Skiba. This is when he was still just fronting the Alkaline Trio. Okay. And he was really looking for an outlet. I think they were off in between record cycles and he had some time and he had moved to LA from Chicago. And, um, you know, we had known each other from years prior from just touring and being in punk rock bands and running around the country, you know, raising hell. (laughs) <laughs> and we reconnected out there and he had, uh, he and Joe had written these songs, you know, literally just in the bedroom on a four track cassette player. And um, it just kind of happened organically. I mean, they were looking for someone to produce a record who didn't make traditional rock records in studios. They were trying to get away from that. And those two guys had very, very different influences and backgrounds, but they had sort of a a common love for some of the influences that one can sort of immediately pick up on in that project. And so we all kind of did it as a bit of a just fun love letter studio project over a summer. But then the record turned out pretty good. And (laughs) Epitaph signed it and put it out and said, you know, we really want to get you guys on the road. So then we needed to sort of reverse engineer a band out of that. And so we put a band together from people in immediately who were around and had played on the record. Cornbread Compton, who is the drummer now in Electric Guest. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's done the, he's composed the scores to MacGruber <laughs> and uh, Palm Springs, the oh, Sandberg yeah. movie. that wow, was. Yeah. So, and so Cornbread was around at the time. So he played drums and um, Joe and his wife, Erica and Skiba and I all went out and toured this thing around the UK and the US and Canada. And it was a fucking blast because yeah. he had this huge fan base already in place who this project just sort of fell right into the hands of. And so I think the first show we ever played as a band was a sold out club in Manchester, England. And all these oh, kids man. already knew all the words to the songs. That's- we had never played a show. It was the first show <laughs> that's awesome. for this band. It was amazing. Yeah. That's, that's, so it was that- a blast. That's awesome. Well, uh, well, Ben, I, I love talking to you. Is there anything else? I mean, there are so many projects we could touch on. Is there any others that come to mind or, or is there anything else about your work you want to mention? I, I don't want to leave anything hanging. Um, I, if I can do it, you can too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, if you're listening to this because you're interested in doing this and haven't, just do it. Just go find somebody or just make something or just rip something off the internet and put your music on it and put it up there. It's like... You know, if I've managed to have a career in this and I just stumbled into it face first with just a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of, um, you know, willingness to work my ass off for it, 
then if you're somebody listening to this because you're interested in doing this, but you, you don't know if you've there's some prerequisite or some special thing you need to know or understand, you don't. You know, you just you learn by doing it. Yeah. So just do it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Ben, uh, again, I, I thank you so much for taking the time, and you're you're welcome back whenever you would like. Um, and <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, and. Once again, I I really I, I love listening to your work and both out of the films as well as in them, and I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, my my pleasure. All right, everybody. Well, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>